welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm well. How are you today? Good, buddy. It's been a good week. It's my daughter's birthday this week. She's three, so we had a social distanced party with a bunch of our friends and their kids and trying to keep them at bay and not going near each other which was kind of interesting the stories each parent told their three-year-olds on why they couldn't go near other people some were terrified to go anywhere near them and others just (laughs) didn't seem to care too much well happy birthday scarlet and uh I don't envy you trying to keep kids away from each other. So. <laughs> they, for the most part, I think everyone was in their little zone that we like cornered off, which was nice. Very cool. Very cool. Um, this is one of my most favorite episodes of all time, and I'm sure you know why. I know. You <laughs> totally geeked out on identity for a whole amount of time with people that I sent your way, knowing that you would geek out on it. <laughs> it's great. Although this is this is the most practical application of the technology that I've seen in quite a while, right? I mean, we've had the identity guys on talking about the SDKs and the service, which is great, but how do I do it, right? How do I get involved? Mm-hmm. And, and and so this was certainly helpful and uh, and the guys were, were, were quite enjoyable to visit with. But anyways, um, um, I, I, it seems like a, a quiet community for me this week. Did you have any, uh, you didn't have much luck either, I suppose, did you find in stuff? No, so we found a lot of official <laughs> posts, which coincidentally all relate to identity as well. And so the first one, which is like, oh my God, if I had a shot for every time someone had asked me this, um, and when's it going to be in V1, I'd be permanently drunk, I think, was around the service principle API in the Microsoft Graph. And um, it's something that I actually demoed at Build in a PowerShell way, in actual fact, and inside Graph Explorer, just to highlight listing the service principles on applications that you see in like the app registrations areas and different things. That's all in V1 now. So hurrah, no more silly questions. They can just use it. Uh, This is great because, you know, oh yeah, I I consented your app. Sure, it should work. And then now I can query the directory and say, well, actually, (laughs) maybe you didn't consent my app because I don't have permission. So nice to code for defensive calls to the graph so I can check before I fail. Yeah, and the silly questions remark is more of a, I don't know the answers um, because every workload does a different thing right now around how long the cycle is between beta and V1. The identity team take eight, nine, 12 months to sometimes turn around APIs. The team's team can turn stuff around in three months and there isn't that consistency. And we've been talking internally about like, putting limits on it like uh, you know if you put something better it has to be up by x we do get a lot of these questions of like hey this has been in beta for ages when's it v1ing and we just we just simply don't know quite honestly because each team you know isn't showing their cards of planned dates and so forth yeah fortunately though these these apis have been in the ad correct api the native service api for quite some time so i'm hopeful that it won't be it won't be so bad yeah 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 i think there's a lot of pressure on them to move away from that endpoint onto the graph so it's good that they're um doing this and then on a relative note the um advanced query capabilities of count filter search and order by as well we've added for um group support yeah it's a simple little thing but until this api do you know how you had what you had to do to figure out how many accounts were in your tenant <laughs> you know you do this right in your product <laughs> yes 
Exactly. Yes. So the very grateful to see dollar count and some of these filter options in here. On Twitter, I've seen folks asking about wanting to do a filter or search by some whatever attribute that they use in their organization, like phone number or something mm -hmm. like that. So I know there might still be some gaps, but at least it's getting closer. So that's good to see. Yeah. I mean, the scenarios they have in here around like um, users with DE and their display name um, or like just returning that count as well as the results so that, you know, you're not doing complex queries on paging and different things like that. So there's, it definitely will make it more performant if you only just want to get the number and not have to get the whole collection back just to get the amount of people in the collection. You can you can tell the the initial target is the people picker. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of the stuff that's there lets you do like I'm searching for how many Jeremy's are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, pretty cool. But good nonetheless. Glad to see it. Um, what else did you see? The the most interesting one I saw is a, a collection of videos from the identity platform that were published in this. We didn't talk about this in the interview, but this uh, Matthias Hoekstra. Yes, Matthias. how we say his name. Yeah, that's right. He has a blog. I linked his blog post because he has the shortcuts to a series of videos. It's on the YouTube channel for like Microsoft Azure or something like that. So there's thousands of videos, it seems. But um, Matthias and, and Kyle Marsh, who was on the show a while back, did a, I don't know, six or seven videos on the identity platform platform developer training and so uh great to see uh more how to's and how to do that he's just moved to a new team which is I, i'm gonna miss him because he was working directly with us on graph in this um cxp org customer experience org carl's still there which is good um but matthias is working on their new decentralized identities decentralized identities yeah i'm, I'm watching that with interest to see how that evolves so we should definitely get Matthias on the show at some point to talk through it because I've found a bunch of internal decks and it's kind of a bit blowing my mind in terms of the date detail behind it I know a thing or two about identity and I start reading about this and I'm confused <laughs> so I think I that did might see be... that Alex Simons posted a tweet this week with a like a a high level slide that seem to start to join the dots a bit for me but we should probably get him on to talk about it a bit more once he can which once he can yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so let me i'll find that alex would put that in the, in the blog post so that'll be helpful too and then um mike mclean he had one and it was about uh when you create microsoft 365 groups now they're called not office 365 groups there's a bunch of properties that are in and it looks like they're in v1 so that you can do things like hide from Outlook context and hide from address lists, just simple flags, true or false. Uh, that's been a huge request for a bunch of provisioning scenarios for companies that are doing these groups for different reasons, but don't want them to show up. I can see a lot of scenarios where I would want this to happen for my Outlook groups, especially for private teams. Well, and some of that is the, the first party creation experience sets some of these Historically, I believe the like creating creating a thing in yeah, plan it didn't show up as an Outlook yeah. contact or anything like that, right? Right. So it's nice to see some parity come in there because if we're helping customers by creating stuff, it'd be nice to to make it look similar. So yeah, that's 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 good to see. I'm glad to see that a lot. And and we're also on Spotify now as well. I don't know if we talked about that last week. We did not because I didn't I, I didn't fix it until after <laughs> after we recorded. Yeah. So you know what that that was um, a request that came in from one of our listeners. It said it'd be nice to be on Spotify and so we finally got our act together and did that. So hopefully that's helpful to folks. But it turns out it's super easy 
uh, from Sonos to play the podcast that way. So if you're a Sonos person, that's definitely a lot easier. I, I am, but I can't have someone talking when I'm trying to work. I have to have just music with no lyrics generally. <laughs> so I haven't listened to it on the yeah. Sonos. Mine's the cooking in the kitchen, listening. Yeah. Although, you know, I, as I mentioned before we started recording, how I, I put in a light bulb that would turn red when we're recording and I got this massive eye roll from the office. <laughs> so can you imagine if I put the podcast on in, yeah. the, in the whole house audio? <laughs> it was like streaming in every room. Yeah. Yeah. Because she doesn't hear enough of me blathering on and on. <laughs> but, um, but this episode was uh, Christos Matskus and John Patrick Danderson from the Identity Team and Christos has a bunch of samples that help use the identity, the MSAL library plus this new identity dot web library that's that's very helpful. So it was great to have them on. They talk about what the library does and how you can folks can use it. And it was uh, great to catch up with these guys. And then we have a ton of links in the show. They they gave me a ton of information about the, the latest identity, the announcements that we, we didn't cover just to now. So there's a couple other things in there as well. So great episodes. Uh, grateful for those guys being on and. Uh, Get ready for the for the next one. I got a bunch of them still queued up. This is uh, a good time to be a developer, so we'll keep giving it the content. And like the Spotify tips, if you've got something you want or you need or have a question, reach out to us. We're happy to try to cover what we can. That's awesome. Well, have a good weekend, buddy, and we'll see you soon. I see you. So this week on the podcast, we have a couple of folks from the developer advocacy team in the identity division at Microsoft. We have Christos Metzkes and John Danderson. I'm sure I screwed it up. So welcome, guys. Hey, nice to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. So first, uh, Christos, why don't you give us a quick uh, overview of who you are and what exactly you do? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a geek, a developer at heart, and uh, I joined the developer advocacy team uh, on March doing the stuff I love. So I'm really passionate about writing code and fixing things and advocating about our products and being in the identity space, it's great. And we have an opportunity to uh, spread the love and uh, uh, that's what we're doing here, in fact. Excellent, and John, how about yourself? So I joined the identity division back in April uh, after a few years at Microsoft as a cloud solution architect building Azure solutions with our customers. And before that had the benefit of building Azure solutions for about six years prior. So I'm almost a decade into Azure, which is, uh, I hope it doesn't go anywhere because then I'd be really, <laughs> I'd be up a creek. But so yeah, but, so I love to build things and uh, I've, I've had an opportunity to do it for about 15 years now and almost 10 years focused on Azure. So cool to be here. <laughs> Well, if I find it a little bit shocking that Azure is 10 years old, to be honest. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but th that's excellent. Obviously, we're recording this post-build, so let's start there. Uh, the, uh, the Identity Group had some announcements at Build, so let's just do a, a quick overview of that for level side. I'm not sure which one of you has the, the, all the goods, but let's, let's go through that a little bit first, what, what you guys announced at, at Build. Sure, yeah. If I'm a developer, there are probably three big things that came out that I'm, I'm excited about. And, of course, uh, MSAL being GA across... Pretty much every major platform now is a, a really big win for developers. So we can start using the 2.0 endpoint of Azure AD and get all the great work that's gone into making MSAL good. So we can start moving away from ADAL and back into MSAL. Uh, the Angular uh, wrapper for MSAL has also gone GA, which is a big advantage for a lot of developers who were, who were using the earlier version of ADAL with Angular. Beyond that, for our .NET devs, Microsoft.Identity.Web, uh, that library has come out. And one of the big advantages here is that library is now owned by the Identity Org, uh, as opposed to being part of the ASP.NET Core Org. And that means 
they're much that, that library is much more in lockstep with us and with what we want to do and making sure that .NET devs have a consistent experience sort of from here on out that they're going to have the same API surface for interacting with ASP.NET identity and for getting tokens to talk to their own applications, to sign users in, to call APIs like the Microsoft Graph with a really sort of well-designed, easy-to-use library. That is now out in preview. And there are lots of different demos and things that are online uh, and some that came from Build and some that Chris and I uh, have built ourselves. That's great to hear. And I want to di- dig a little bit deeper into those first. So first, the, the Angular one. Or I guess my, my, my first question would be, if I've, if I've been kicking the tires on, on these things before, are these big changes uh, that I have to do? I, I'm not an Angular guy, so I have no idea whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. But if I have, if I'm, you mentioned the, you know, the older version, if I want to move up to the new version, what, what am I looking at here? A lot of effort, a little bit, and I'm sure it's worth while no matter what <laughs> it's certainly worthwhile uh, i'd say if you've been using the preview the the to move over it's it's almost a non-event uh it's there are a few small changes but nothing major uh if you're coming from adal i think you'll find that the experience is simpler uh more intuitive and easier to use um so there will be a little bit of an effort to move away from adal but it should be it should net you in less code which is always a good thing yes i'm a big advocate of having less code to maintain <laughs> so uh, i'm okay with that <laughs> and then um so the the microsoft Microsoft.identity.web. Uh, Jeremy and I mentioned this uh, an episode or two ago about when it first rolled out into the preview. And my initial description was that it helps bridge the gap between ASP.NET authorization, authentication code, and by Azure Active Directory. So can you correct me or help me fine tune that message? What exactly is this library? Sure. So if you look at doing ASP.NET Core today with Azure AD, there are a couple libraries to help you get authentication turned on. So you can sign in a user and make sure that you know who they are and look at their claims and and understand different pieces of data about them. But as soon as you needed to request, for example, an access token because you need to go talk to the Microsoft Graph or talk to an API of some flavor uh, that's secured by Azure AD, now you have to go download MSAL and configure MSAL. And so you've got these two sort of disparate experiences. And one is for signing users in, and it's done through ASP.NET identity and the extensions there. And then you also have to go configure MSAL. Those two things being separate cause a lot of confusion, of course, for developers and, and for our customers. And so identity.web sort of plunks both of those together. So it configures ASP.NET Core for signing users in and also handles getting access tokens as you need them for for different systems and all within one consistent API surface. So as last week, we had to do things like services.add authentication, and then we had a .add Azure AD, for example. Uh, Now we do things like add authentication, services.add authentication, uh, .add Microsoft Identity UI. So it's a much more consistent experience, um, and it's been tailored to, to sort of remove a lot of the complexity away. Because anybody who's been building .NET code especially, we've all been spoiled, right? Five, 10 years ago, if you're on-prem in AD, you just do a user.identity.name and you're done. You're like, oh, I mean, yeah, somebody set up AD, I guess. I don't know who they were. They're an ops guy who works in my in my corp, and so I just use it and it works. Um, but there's a whole lot of work that went into setting up that, uh, that AD. So now our users come over, our developers come over and start building things for Azure AD, and they say... What, what is all this? I don't, what, you're telling me I have to own this. I have to understand what all this means and, and build it myself. And so Identity Out Web gets us much closer to that a really easy, you know, two line of code drop in thing that gives you a, a secure authenticated app uh, without a whole lot of extra effort and without ha- you having to understand how all these protocols work at the core. 
So I learned a new word there, <laughs> plunked them all together. So I'm certainly going to add that to my toolkit for sure. <laughs> it's a technical term. You you load the code in the t-shirt cannon and you shoot them at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, and so now specifically on this Microsoft.identity.web library, what initially caught my attention to get the, you guys on the podcast was a sample that Christos had published. And so can we talk a little bit about what that, First of all, what, what does that sample do so that folks know what, what they're looking for or what they're yeah. seeing? Uh, I, th I think I was the first one to actually download the library when it came in NuGet package because it was something that was new for us and not many people were using it. And it was still a, you know, a library that you had to pull in as a dependency to your project. So I think I was like NuGet user one or something when that became live as I was testing to see how I can use ASP.NET Core with uh, Azure AD to create a, a solution. So the the sample that I uh, I wrote was uh, an MVC app that uh, authenticates against Azure AD using the Microsoft.Identity.Web library. Uh, it provides you with a UI element as well. And then uh, once you authenticate, you acquire the appropriate access tokens to go and call graph. So that gives you kind of an end-to-end -end solution where you have a front end where your users can log in securely. Uh, within a few lines of code that was easy to implement. And then configuring the, the Azure AD to provide access tokens to the graph. And that was the second part. And it was more of a, a discovery journey to see how uh, we pull all this together, uh, which now has become a really good sample as a, as a go-to for people that want to implement something similar to their ASN core apps. And it's great because we own the library, but we're working very closely with the Visual Studio teams, the .NET Core teams, to ensure that this becomes the mainstream way for working with Azure AD. And discovering, I think that's what most of uh, most of our developers are in this scenario. So, so now we keep saying we have one or two lines of code. Where do I put this code? So if I'm starting an ASP.NET ASP Core, application, right? Where, where do I where do I put this code? Let's start there. First thing, you just download the NuGet package. You make it part of the solution or the project. And then uh, it's it's all done in the startup CS. Yeah. So in, in the middleware for ASP.NET Core, uh, there's a service, service uh, section where you go and configure your services. That's the first bit. And then in the configure uh, method, you need to make sure that you add authentication and authorization to enforce that um, um, process. And within your controllers, then, if you're creating an API or if you're creating an MVC, you can apply the uh, authorized uh, attribute to your uh, controller actions to ensure that you get secure access to certain parts of the website, whereas other parts can be anonymous access or what have you. So in all in all, I think um, if you look at the sample code of the blog, um, that it's less than 10 lines of code altogether to wire everything up. Yeah, so in the past, uh, or if I scaffolded it out a project, it would it would add the the use Azure AD, I think it was right. So to to do the authentication piece, right? And now is that is that using OpenID Connect still, or is the thing that changed? It is, yeah, it is. I mean, under the hood, we're we're still wrapping around MSL and we're doing it everything for you. But we we hid away all all the ugliness or all the complexity. So now you do proper dependency injection if you need to get the access tokens to call stuff. In fact, we're working to slightly change the experience to make it even better to to use the de facto .NET Core bootstrapping and builders. So uh, all you have to do in the future, especially if you're working with Graph, it will be like services.addGraphClient, and then that will be injectable into your controllers. And uh, it, it becomes even simpler for you to work with. But yeah, we're using the same standards, just the 
a layer on top of everything else to hide the complexity and make it easier for you to get started. Okay, and in and in the past, I would use the I could use the authorize attribute on my my controller, and it would then give me the user identity. But that user identity never had the access token, right? And so I think what you're bringing to the table is helping us get that access token for the current user. Yes, exactly. And, and it still applies to the, the you know the role management. So if you want to apply roles, if you want your uh, app to to have role management as well, then you can have a more fine-tuned uh, access uh, control within your app as well. So it abides to the standard authentication and authorization process, but it brings a lot more to the table. Okay, and how much of the ASP.NET identity stuff am I using? Because I know that I could I could add roles to my application, but Azure Active Directory will let me do roles and group membership as well, right? So am I locked into one or the other here, or is it easier to use one or the other? I think we'd say it's easier to use Azure AD, of course. <laughs> I mean, granted, <laughs> we might be a little biased, but... Um, a little bit biased. There are certainly advantages to using it, you know, sort of enterprise settings especially, or, you know, big software, big SaaS type settings. Scaling and, and handling that en masse is a lot easier than having to sort of own that database yourself. But really what it does is, uh, on the authentication side, is it wires up the OpenID Connect providers correctly. So in the past where you would have had to add an OpenID Connect uh, authentication provider and ASP.NET Identity, we're doing that for you um, as part of uh, Microsoft.Identity.Web. So the sort of net result in terms of how the code executes is still the same, but the difference is we've, we're doing that for you in addition to also giving you uh, an MSAL instance that's already configured to go and fetch a token and handling the caching and that sort of that sort of work for you. So there's some overrides for different types of caches to go get access tokens for that user. But instead of having those be two disparate tasks that you have to wire up independently, uh, we're doing them for you in one builder method call. Okay, so, th so the ASP.NET identity role membership then is backed by Azure AD for me, is what I, I, I or am I making a leap there that I shouldn't be? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it, it, in a way, yes, in that, when we have roles that are set by Azure AD. So if we've created an app registration in, in Azure AD, which we'd have to do anyway, and we've defined a couple roles for our app, say we've got a, a reader and an owner role, right? Someone who's who can, someone in the reader role can read, someone in the owner role can do everything, read and write. Once we've defined those roles in our application and assigned users to them, when a user is assigned to that role, they'll come in with a claim called roles. And it'll be a, it'll be an array of the roles that they've got, and ASP.NET Identity will pick up on that. And so, when we're creating an authorization policy, or when we're using the authorize tag, we can use things like authorize roles, and then stick a role name in there. And as long as that role came in from your from your claim set from when you signed in, uh, then now that role is available, and you're a member of it, and you can do the action or whatever kind of whatever your policy dictates. So yeah, I really like that as well because it, I've been espouting for a long time you should use MSAL because if my organization turns on multi-factor author conditional access, it just works. But now with this new connection, I guess, or this new library, any any roles or work done by my organization in Azure AD comes along for the ride. And as a developer, I don't care. I just use what I've always used, right? Is that, that's right. That, that's really, yeah. To, I, and again, we're back to that. Uh, that's less code I have to write, less code I have to maintain. Who doesn't love that, right? <laughs> 
That's right. And, and, and less things you have to manage, right? So if you are working in a large org, then you want your IT team to be able to manage the roles at the Azure AD level. You don't have disparate databases for each app where you have different roles and different configurations and what have you. So it's a lot more centralized. It's a lot more scalable. But you don't have to be a massive org to use that. I mean, you can start with two users. You still get all the benefits of delegate authentication and scalability out of the box. So we accommodate all the needs here, right? Right. Uh, the, you mentioned um, the caching the tokens, right? And so that's always a big struggle that folks are doing with, right? I, I can I can request offline access and get the token and do all that kind of fun stuff, but I don't like writing that code. So what caching mechanism comes with and what do I have to do myself and how do you help me do whatever I need to do? Uh, so we've got some helpers for things like an in-memory cache, of course, which doesn't really work terribly well in a broadly scalable web app, but for, for your own dev, it makes it a lot easier. We can hook into the distributed cache that's available on ASP.NET already. So if you've already configured a distributed cache in ASP.NET for uh, using Redis or anything else, we can support that as well. And at one point we had a SQL cache, although I'd have to check to make sure that the SQL cache is still available. I'm not sure if it made it all the way to the end uh, or made it all the way to release. But instead of building a cache yourself entirely, you know, from the ground up and implementing some interfaces, for example, which you can do if you'd like. Instead, the way that MSAL expects you to use a cache is really to hook into two different events. Uh, one is called before access and one is called after access. And before access is before MSAL tries to access the token cache itself. And then after access, of course, is after it accesses the cache. So that's your opportunity to do things like handle the actual persistence, right, of serializing it to a certain type so that you can go and, or taking the data that MSAL gives you and actually doing the persistence to persist it into a table store, to persist it into a SQL database, into Cosmos, wherever you want to do it. But it removes you as the developer from having to deal with the intricacies of encrypting it and serializing it. Uh, we do that for you. So by hooking into those two events, all of the uh, complexity of, of dealing with the cache itself is handled by us. And all we're giving you is a effectively a set of bytes that you need to go write somewhere. And actually, the, the, you'll handle the persistence part yourself on the uh, after access, and then you'll handle the pulling out from persistence on the before access, and then MSAL handles the rest for you. I've got a sample of that that's in a, a presence tool that I had to build for making my light bulbs change whenever I'm I'm working, so my kids don't come in. So, uh, and that's up on GitHub. We'll share the link. So, and so is that the persistence mechanisms that you say you support? Is that again something I would do in my configure services, or mm-hmm. or, or is it okay? It is the 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 other s- sample that I s- I saw uh, one of you work on was using a daemon app with a certificate. And, and does that fit into the same set of libraries or, or how much different is it using a certificate instead of delegated permissions with the user? Uh, well, permissions and certificates are slightly different, but uh, here we're talking about the flow they use, right? So we're using, uh, we're using a different flow for daemon because obviously if you're running a daemon app, you don't expect a, a user interaction. You don't expect the user to come in and sign in. So uh, what we want to do there is to either provide a client secret or what we can do is either provide a a client app and a client secret or a certificate. And when I was looking into that, you know, usually one of the challenges that we have is securely storing things like secrets. And we've all made the mistake of checking in some kind of a secret in some kind of a repository, hopefully not in a public repo, but it happens. So we want to protect the companies and organizations and developers from making those mistakes. And the easiest way to, to do that, obviously, is to use a certificate. Because with a certificate and a client app, you configure your app and say, you know what, when I... 
run this specific application that needs to go and speak to Azure AD, I will do it with a certificate rather than trying to pass the secret. And here we're trying to eliminate the need of storing the secret somewhere. I mean, you could store it as an environmental variable. There are ways to do it correctly and securely, but uh, from my perspective, just having a certificate out there makes your life a lot easier as a developer. You don't have to think about all the other issues. And usually, usually, I'm just saying usually, I'm not saying that it always happens. Most companies will have a better management of certificates than secrets. Again, it doesn't mean that because you're using a secret, you're eliminating all the risks, but I, hopefully you're using something like a key vault to store that and manage it. So eventually makes the, the solution more secure. And again, what I did with uh, that, that app or that sample was creating a way to speak to Azure AD, get permissions, and then go and speak to Graph on behalf of the daemon app. So again, automating the process with a, a non-user interactive kind of solution. And, and you mentioned Key Vault, and obviously, um, uh, John, talking about your time in Azure, we know that there's there's Key Vault and managed identities up there. I assume this all works because it's often the same organization. This all works with these new libraries as well. Yes, for the most part, there are still a few. There are a few things that make getting a token with MSI. It, the mechanism for getting them is a little bit different. So with MSI, there's an endpoint that's published to the resource, to a VM, or to an Azure function or a web app. There's a an endpoint that's published, and it's a local one that's only accessible from that uh, from that in, from that resource. And when the resource requests a token, it's it already gets what it's allowed uh, based on what it asks for. And so there really isn't a larger token exchange, like a standardized token exchange that your code is dealing with because the underlying MSI is dealing with that all on its own. So from your perspective as a developer, you're making effectively a local REST call to yourself, asking for a token for a specific resource, and then you get the token and send it downstream. And so for MSI, you don't even necessarily have to use MSAL or identity.web or anything because you're just making a REST call to get a to get an access token, which is is really it's really neat how it shortcuts the whole process because if you're not familiar with having to do this sort of code integration yourself then if you need an access token from a resource you just go and fetch it as we see a lot of automation type work that goes into things like functions for post-deployment type work of i've already deployed a template but i need to go and do some configuration and being able to assign our MSI permissions within our Azure subscription, like contribute rights to a resource group, for example, means we can request a an Azure REST API token and then use that with the REST API directly or with the Azure management libraries to go and say, push certain configuration to our virtual machine that we just deployed or to our app service we just deployed. So uh, MSI removes even more complexity, makes it even easier to start using it. So, but can I use MSI to get a token for Graph? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You can use MSI to get a token nice. for anything that is Azure AD protected, including your own apps. So um, if you've written an app and you've published some scopes and registered an app in, in Azure AD, uh, you can assign those scopes or those roles to your MSI. So your MSI can get a token to talk to itself or other services that you've written. If, if I'm not correct, an MSI is just a service principal account. There, there, and there are two, two of them, right? One is the manual one you create yourself and you assign permissions, usually RBAC permissions to Azure to go and do things. And the other way is a, a system generated one. So if you're running an app service and you say, I want to speak to SQL Server, I want to do it without having to have any configuration, uh, my connection string. So what you do is you actually use a, a system generated MSI account 
that uh, is only uh, allowed to speak to SQL from that specific resource. Again, it, it, we're looking at the least privileged kind of approach here where that specific account has very limited permissions to do things. And back in the old days when MSI did not exist, uh, I, I wrote blog posts about how you can go and create a service principle yourself to actually go and speak to uh, Key Vault to get the secrets uh, for your app. It's the, the primitive, like the, the precursor to MSI where our team just went and created this amazing product. But MSI solves a lot of problems. And what many people don't know is that MSI actually works out of the box with Visual Studio. So for example, if you're developing locally, and you have some secrets stored in Key Vault and you want your .NET Core app to go and pull them out, then there is a Azure Key Vault provider for .NET Core where you use MSI to go and speak to Key Vault, get the secrets, bootstrap them up into your app so you never have to store any client keys, any client secrets. It's all nice and safely secure. And when you push to the production environment, you just use a different service principal account, a different MSI account for your production environment. So you keep yeah, the security end-to-end -end from development to QA to production, and developers don't have to have access to keys, which is one of the biggest security threats you can have. And to follow on, your, your comment about organizations managing certificates uh, resonates to me there because I just discovered not so long ago I, on a key vault, I can have it send an alert when uh, it's, uh, certificates are nearing expiration. So closing the gap on that as well, really, really pretty cool. And so now, now the, the, um, the next thing I, I kind of wanted to dig into a little bit because, and this is probably because John did all that work in Azure, right? So if the, the, I have a running gag with my co-host that, you know, I ask questions that help Paul do his day job. So here, here it goes, right? So, so if I, I'm, I'm deploying, I'm deploying uh, uh, an app into multiple regions up in Azure, and and so, uh, are there tips or tricks that I need to worry about when using Azure Active Directory or Identity or Key Vaults or anything along those lines as as we scale out? How does the identity story work in that? For the most part, the identity story stays the same. Uh, Azure is a global service, and so you'll have endpoints that you'll hit that are largely independent of an Azure region. So Azure AD isn't necessarily tied to a specific region to say, well, your Azure AD instance is in Azure region East US. doesn't really work that way. And so you call login.microsoftonline.com or whatever endpoint you're using, like if you're using one for B2C, and you'll get to the nearest or the fastest Azure AD endpoint for you. In fact, you can run Azure AD protected apps in AWS, in Google, in your data center. It doesn't matter. As long as they can reach HTTPS login.microsoftonline.com, then they can authenticate to, to Azure AD and your users can too. Key Vault is, of course, a regioned resource. So Key Vault's a little bit different because your Key Vaults are going to be in, deployed into specific regions. And so there are some considerations around, do we share secrets in both or do we keep secrets in one place? And some of that depends on the app. Is if we're expecting an entire region to go down and we need to build for that, then we need to make sure we've got secrets in both places, that sort of thing. Or sometimes if it's just for DR, if it's just for failover, uh, maybe we have we have a different sort of sync process to get them over into a separate vault. So I would say anything that's critical, we want to have more than one key vault in the two different regions or three, five, 10 regions that you're deployed into, but certainly not a requirement. Much more of an Azure question than a than a, an identity concern, I guess. But building on that, and again, this is just, my, I kind of want to reiterate to the listeners, right? If, if I'm using the libraries we've been discussing and I end up with my tokens cached in Redis or in SQL or in memory, 
how much do I care about the secrets that are in Key Vault at that point, right? I'm just bootstrapping them at that point, or or is it really more more complex than that? It depends on the type of grants that we're doing, and it depends on what your application's doing. Um, so in the case of something like like a client credentials grant, where you've got a service talking to another service, there's not a user like a daemon app or a you know a headless service. Those apps don't have any sort of long-lived tokens, right? They've got a they've got a secret and a key, or they've got their client ID and their secret, and they request an access token, and they're going to get just an access token. There are no refresh tokens involved, so nothing's really that long-lived, only about an hour. If you can't get to that secret to go and ref- you get a new token and it's been 60 minutes, your token's expired, then your app's not going to work, right? Like that service is going to go down. MSAL handles the majority of, is this token still valid? If it is, I should go and get a new one if possible silently. But um, so, so you don't necessarily need to code around that possibility, but just know that at any point, your app could need a new token and MSAL will tell you through the through the standard flow or the standard way of, you, of how you use it, which is try to get a silent token. Then try, if you can't get one silently, they'll, it'll typically tell you why. And usually it means the user needs to go and re-authenticate, at which point you as a developer need to make sure that the user goes and re-authenticates. We'll handle the bulk of the sort of logic around, should I go get a new token or not? But we should never really assume a token is valid um, unless MSAL has given us one uh, as soon as we've asked for it and we've tried to use it. I love that insight. That, that's great. And so now, um, is there anything, I know we talked a little bit about the, the libraries that you released. Is there any other uh, information from this identity stuff recently or, or roadmappy things that folks should keep their eyes out as we, as we go forward? I think there are two big ones. Although uh, I could talk about one, Christos, if you want to talk about the new graph API stuff, we'll we'll do that too. But the big one for me, I think, is going to be around publisher verification for new applications that are going into Azure AD. So there's a a big push around what we're sort of calling trustworthy applications and trustworthy computing in Azure AD. So that when uh, a developer creates an application, especially a multi-tenant one, where anyone from the Azure AD ecosystem can sign in, anyone who's used that has gone through a consent process where they get the window and it says, oh, this application would like to sign you in and read your calendar or read your mail or save files to OneDrive. That experience is, is what we call consent. And some people may have been through it where it says you can't consent to these because you're not an admin, which is probably common for people who are end users. Um, <laughs> certainly common for us as end users, uh, uh, end users in corporate. So that whole uh, consent process has uh, sort of been uh, a, a decent but not great user experience for a long time. Uh, and so the first step is a, a new admin consent workflow where when a user uh, goes to sign into an app that requires admin consent, instead of just being stonewalled and said, and with a message that says, nope, can't do that, uh, you need an admin to do this. Or it says, if you're an admin, you should sign in here and do it, which of course nobody does. Now there's a way to request that your admin do this. So if I'm an end user, I've hit the window and it says, hey, tell your admin why you would like this app. And then that admin gets a notification to go uh, and actually approve or deny that request. And there's some good API integration. So if you have a ticketing tool or whatever, we can make that surface into your ticketing tool, your your service now or your help desk or however you handle uh, you know, operational type work. So I think that'll do a lot, of, a lot of really good things to make that experience better for users. So they're not just sort of left in the cold wondering what is admin consent and why is it I just need to use this app. But the big one is in terms of impact is publisher verification where those applications are going to get a, a checkbox 
a little star checkbox like a Twitter account uh, that says that we verified the uh, the domain and the company that this app says it's from, right? So I think Apple was one of the ones they showed it during build where the it shows that there's a verified organization called Apple and that their, their domain is apple.com and that we have verified that to say uh, this is a verified organization that's publishing this app. So you can put a little bit more trust in it as an end user to say, okay, they're probably not going to completely abuse my data or at least know who it is so you can go and see what their policies are, et cetera. But why this is so important for uh, for our users is because we are also issuing new guidance on what kinds of apps users can consent to. Uh, and one of our new recommendations is going to be that you as an admin should only allow users to consent to uh, applications that are coming from a published, uh, verified publisher. And so for partners and anybody who's building multi-tenant apps in Azure AD, um, SaaS vendors or ISVs, it's going to be really important over the next few months that they start to consider publisher verification to make sure that end users can actually consent to their apps because uh, admins are going to start having control over those policies quite soon. That's uh, good information to know. And I'd heard about publisher verification, so I think uh, that'll be helpful. And and the uh, the, the new APIs that you ta- you mentioned as well, uh, can we give folks a quick overview of what that is? Oh, yeah. We, we do have quite a few new APIs. Some of them are in beta, on the beta endpoint, so they're not generally available yet. But we do have, I think, on the general availability kind of category, the two ones that really uh, struck me uh, were the ability now to actually manage application registration with custom roles, which means that uh, now we, we have an automated process via graph to go and create uh, application registrations for, for our apps. And then also managing service principles, um, adding conditional access policies as well. These are all programmatically available to you. So what we have done now is bridging the gap between the old uh, Azure uh, AD graph, and sorry, the Azure graph and the Microsoft graph. So eventually, uh, as with everything at Microsoft, we did have an evolution in the product. Everything now is available in the Microsoft graph. So that means that people can have one single point and one single set of APIs to go and work, uh, whether they're doing Office 365, Intune, or Azure stuff. We have everything for you. And the other thing that was super exciting, uh, it was part of the Hansom's demo where he was actually changing his uh, light uh, color based on his availability or who he was talking to. And uh, I was chatting with uh, with JP at that point, like, John, like, how, how did he do that? Because up until this point, the, the availability um, API was something that required admin consent. So for us at Microsoft, it was super difficult to create an app that actually exposed that availability to everybody else. And we found out that it's now um, something that doesn't require admin consent. So it's fantastic because it, it, it frees up and creates so many possibilities for people to go and mess up with lights while they're speaking on uh, Teams or whatever. So that, that was one bit that got me excited. I know it's like a small one, but you know it's the small things that make you happy. I'm easily satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of small things that make you happy, the, the the improvement that I like is that I can now do dollar count in the like for a group to get a count of group membership instead of having to enumerate all the members myself. So oh, thanks yeah. for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's also the other thing. Like we improved the query capability, so now you can do search, count, sort, and filter from uh, inside your uh, graph queries. So that that should improve performance significantly for certain scenarios. 
yeah, yeah. For for me and for you, I'm sure. So that that's great, great to see. Well, well, guys, thanks so much for doing this. I look forward to it. Now, um, do you have, I guess, uh, any? Uh, what's the best way to get information from or information to the Identity Group or yourselves? Do you have a, a Twitter account or user voice or anything like that you want to let folks know about? Sure, you can get a hold of both of us on Twitter. We're pretty active, probably too active, really. Than, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, there is an Azure AD user voice which we can make sure to get a link for, and our docs. We're constantly improving our docs, and in fact, that's. Uh, one of the things Christos and I have been working a lot on these past few weeks is where are the gaps in our docs for common scenarios that customers need to do. So if there are any that you've seen or that anyone else has seen that are missing, please let us know and we'll we'll make sure and get it in our list. Thanks, guys, and uh, have a good, great, good week. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 